Hey ho, Tudor minded people. I'm Gage. I'm Jessica. We're Tudor Time Machine, and this is episode 44 of our podcast. Thank you for listening. If this is your first time finding us, it's best to start at episode one. This is a story project, and it goes in order, and we do not want you to miss any of the twists and turns. We're so excited to be reaching thousands of Tudor minded listeners from all over the world. We've had such a great time researching and working on this project, and especially sharing it with all of you. And if you're enjoying it, support us. Buy some great Tudor Time Machine swag. Yes, go to our Tudor Time Machine Facebook page, hit the Shop Now button, and you'll see all the wonderful items we have for sale. So get a Do You Tudor tea or a cozy sweatshirt with our Tudor Time Machine logo and support the podcast at the same time. In our last episode, we visited the young men of privilege at the Inns of Court, but now we're catching up with Philomena. After the reading, we'll have some fun discussing the history beyond our tale and making connections between then and now. Read on, Jesse. Chapter 44, The Arundel Inn, in which Sir Francis Darrell takes a bath and rumors fly. Philomena was straining to keep her mind on the ledger. Why did Marianne not come to tell her that Sir Francis was in the bath? A great deal of time had passed. She stared at the ceiling. She could not work. She waited. She had felt so fortunate when Sir Francis returned with the pomander still around his neck. It was impossible to be patient. She got up to practice a few dance steps. She sat down to count how many lords had rooms at the inn. She stood again to pick up a cloak, and then Marianne's head appeared to provide the desired news. Philomena counted to fifty, slowly, and then, with controlled leisure, trod the corridor with greetings and nods. The passageway cleared for a moment. A few quick steps, and she was in Sir Francis's room. She closed the door gingerly, in case someone passed by on the other side. It was dim. She made her way over and lit a candle on the desk. He might just have left the pomander out, lying on the bed or some such. He seemed a man with few natural worries. Holding the tiny light aloft, she determined the jewel was not obvious. She turned to his trunk and rooted through. A dagger, some coins. She moved to the bed, beginning at the foot, determined to feel every inch. It was noisy downstairs. She listened. Men were shouting, not just drunkenly broadcasting their opinions. It was something more. She heard a crash and rose to check the situation. She despised it when the emotions of a few incensed men filled with mayhem overran the good sense of everyone else. The Scottish will invade, she heard as she increased her pace, appearing in the doorway to see an older man, the local butcher, standing on a chair, his face red, his sword held high. She damned the man to hell in her mind. Once a sword was drawn, it was hard to take a step back. The other men lapped around him, craving the excitement of destruction. Oswin Waters, the tanner, pushed his way into the room. He was not crazed, but the weight of the world seemed on him. There will be war. They have raised an army against us. The men hoisted their steel. Dear heaven, she hated this tumult. Her own father had been killed trying to distract some overzealous men slobbering for war. Clutching the barman, she instructed him to water liberally the ale and the wine, ordering him to serve only a concoction too weak to inebriate these angry goats. Falk pushed his way through to her. "'What has happened?' she asked. "'Oh, mistress, a great war in Scotland. The lords attacked and slaughtered everyone. The streets are running with blood,' he declared with an enlivened eye. How this hothead wished for a war. But she did not. It was terrible for business, and an inconvenience to boot. The finest food rotting on the vine, the tastiest spices trapped in distant ports, the wealthiest customers dead. Cuthbert tried to attend to the room. 
setting chairs aright with one hand while holding up the other to protect himself from the flying spittle and waving arms. Philomena could kiss him. He cared more for order than chaos, wisdom. Some toothless, greasy men appeared. She hated the type. Swearing and nasty and talking about past wars and showing their festering wounds and, God knows why, hoping to receive another from some barbarous Scot. She would turn them away, but that would only make more trouble. She was sliced open, one yelled, with sword predictably aloft. A rage filled Philomena. How she hated this lunacy, leading to accidental murder, impoverished widowhood, beggary. A thousand reavers on horseback ride for London, a man added. Elizabeth has been assassinated, Philomena gasped, along with others amid a single shout of joy. No, our queen is not dead. It is Mary of Scots who is dead. She is not dead. It is her husband Darnley who perished. Oh, you are a fool, man. Darnley rides for England with an army of twenty thousand men. With the reavers, I tell you. Philomena gritted her teeth. These men would clamour all night. She would send Falk to the Lord Mayor to get a bit of accurate intelligence. I heard Queen Mary fought and begged for mercy to save her unborn child. Darnley only killed the baby. You ass! Not the baby. The baby is unborn. Darnley killed David Rizzo, the Pope's spy. It is no matter. What is done is done. They are riding for us, for our land. We must fight. The room was breaking into clusters, a dangerous sign. Herding a half a dozen maids, Philomena charged them to go to the kitchen and bring every suite in the larder. The faster they returned, the more coins they would receive. Darnley is king and will come to fight our queen. I would rather be ruled by a man. No woman should rule. Elizabeth should marry. Whore hunting, rake hell. Darnley will have us in bed with the Spanish. Skirting the crowd, Philomena made for Cuthbert. He addressed her as soon as she was close enough. Mistress, there has been blood in Scotland, and some are dead, that is sure. Where has Falk gone to? We must send him to discover the truth. Have him go to the mayor. The cook appeared, and a bevy of maids with sweetmeats followed. What bravery, Philomena shouted. The men responded, What ho! Eat and sleep you may indeed. And she shoved a sweetmeat into the mouth of a warrior whose arm was busy with weapons and shaking. What ho! Philomena cried. God save the queen! The men began to grab the sweets, and Cuthbert whacked the men and laughed. You've had your fill. Go, go, sleep at home, lads. Instead, the door was banged open by a new mob pushing their way in. Philomena could not stem the tide. She would not care if they died like Ajax with the sheep. If only she could get these rag-taggles safely out of the inn. Things are not going well for our friends. Everything is pretty terrible. On this night. The religious struggles of the day that have pressed on Philomena and Constance, it's determined what they can do and it's determined who they can trust. But now everything is just exploding. So we've imagined what happens when political rumors hit the streets of London. And there's no way to verify what's happened in Scotland. There's no way to know if troops are coming or not coming. Or even to know if someone has just spread a rumor that's entirely made up. Or whether something actually happened in Scotland. There is a lot of tension between Scotland and England in this time in 1565. Mary, Queen of Scots, to Elizabeth's mind, is troubled because of her Catholic leanings. 
Mary married Francis II of France, and he was Catholic, and so was she. But he only lived two years after their marriage. Their marriage was in 1559, and he was dead in 1560. A very brief marriage. And Mary's mother was another Mary, Mary of Guise, who was also French and a Catholic, and she had ruled Scotland as regent from 1554 until her death in 1560. Mary of Guise was a pretty good ruler, but just like in every other part of Europe and England, there was tension between the Protestants and Catholics in Scotland. And in fact, Elizabeth had troops fighting in Scotland against Mary of Guise's French troops. And when Mary of Guise died, the Scottish lords wanted those French troops out. At this point, the Scottish did not want to be a Catholic country. John Knox is incredibly powerful and influential, and he's a reformer in Scotland at this time. And he leads what will ultimately become Presbyterianism. Elizabeth supports the Protestants because she doesn't want a Scotland that is so closely allied with France. France is a superpower at this point. With Mary of Guise dead, the Scottish lords make a kind of peace with England. The Scottish Parliament prohibits saying Latin Mass and denies the authority of the Pope, but Mary, Queen of Scots, is asked to return from France as Queen of Scotland. They assure her that she can practice her religion in her own way, and she assures them that she will not insist on Scotland as a country being Catholic. Mary, Queen of Scots, is the ripe old age of 18. The idea of handing over a country to an 18-year-old seems insane. Well, they handed England over to Edward, and he was nine. So she's on her way home to Scotland to rule this country that has just denied the papal authority and made this Protestant settlement. Elizabeth refuses to give Mary safe passage through English waters on her return from France to Scotland, not because she's just being a meanie, but because Mary has actually declared herself Queen of England. <laughs> Mary does not recognize Elizabeth as being the legitimate child of Henry VIII because Mary, as a Catholic, does not recognize the annulment of the marriage between Catherine of Aragon and Henry VIII, and therefore Anne Boleyn's marriage was void and Elizabeth is a bastard. But Elizabeth, needless to say, does not give up the throne on Mary's Queen of Scots' request. She says, hmm. No, 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 I don't think so. <laughs> the Scottish Protestant lords side with Elizabeth, and they agree that Elizabeth is, in fact, Queen of England. It's pretty <laughs> radical stuff. Well, Mary is not giving up, though. She promises that she will make a parliamentary religious settlement when she arrives. She will get everyone together, and they will work out the whole Protestant Catholic thing, because that is so easy to do. <laughs> As is demonstrated by all these other countries in Europe that are in turmoil. But instead, she just doesn't call Parliament for two years, which is a trick that Elizabeth used as well when she needed to. This maneuver gives Mary some time to figure out her strategy. She finally summons the Parliament in 1563 and kind of outmaneuvers the powerful lords with some insubstantial concessions. But I'm guessing those powerful lords knew they were not getting what they wanted, but they were also kind of buying some time. She avoids a Protestant settlement at this time. It's important to say, since we keep talking about the English and Scottish parliaments, that parliament was not originally created to represent the needs of the people, as we might hope. 
people could definitely argue with us that it still doesn't represent the needs of the people, but the ideal, the hope is that it does. <laughs> Insofar as it does, it evolved into that. But when it was started, it was there to serve the monarch. It was there for the convenience of the monarch. The monarch could bring the richest lords and the priests and the wealthy bourgeoisie and tell them what he wanted. Mm -hmm. And then they would go back to their lands and say what the monarch wanted that he had just told them. So it was strictly a convenience mm -hmm. thing. It wasn't an ideological thing. No. It was just, I want everyone to come in a mass, in a body that I can speak to them all at once, and I shall call it parliament. And of course, the lords didn't want the king to have so much power and just do as they were told. So very early in 1217, the English lords passed the Magna Carta, saying that the king was subject to law. They did not want the king to be subject to law in order to help the common people. <laughs> we just wanted to say this: there was nothing sort of egalitarian about it. This was absolutely not part of it. It was just to give the lords more power or more equal power in comparison to the king. That was what it was for. But it was one of those ideas that the king is subject to the laws of the land that can be extrapolated into a lot of other ideas that came afterwards. Despite the fact that it might not have been a document that revolutionized things, the concept that it laid down was a revolutionary concept that then could evolve into something more. In that way, it is really significant. It's the concept that was significant. But anyway, it barely lasted. It lasted something like 10 weeks. And then the Pope invalidated it because it went against the great chain of being. It didn't have any real impact until after the restoration of the monarchy in the 1660s in England, when there really was a limited monarchy. It's still an amazing document. Even the idea that the president of the United States has to be subject to law. I that feel like that's suggested by, by the, the Magna, Magna Carter. Carter yeah. I think it takes the ideas a long time to get going. They do. It does. One step forward, eight steps back. back. <laughs> yeah. At this time, the parliament's power was not a kind of check or balance on power that we think of it today. Mary, Queen of Scots, has taken her throne, but it's important to remember that she had spent almost no time in Scotland at this point. Mary was sent to France when she was only five because her mother was French and she was betrothed to the child Francis, who would be the king of France. And Mary's expected life was going to be one spent in France as the queen of France. She was educated there. She spoke French better than Scottish. And she called herself Marie Stuart. Despite what we would like to portray in movies, Mary was not a Highland Scots woman <laughs> who wrestled with horses and like scaled walls and castles in Edinburgh. No, I mean, she was a French courtier. She wrote poetry. She played music. She spoke beautiful French. When she came to Scotland, she really intended to make Scotland part of France. And why wouldn't she? Because she had all these incredibly powerful French uncles still in France. She'd grown up there. And France was a superpower. Why would Scotland want to be on its own? I mean, it either had to ally with England or France. And France, for her, was a better deal. Since Elizabeth had no heir, Mary wanted to be named heir to the throne. And people did think her plan was she would be named heir and then she would attach the whole thing to France, which I'm sure Elizabeth was aware of. Yeah, but I don't think anybody at this moment in the 1560s could have written off the idea that Elizabeth was eventually going to marry and have her own heir. Elizabeth 
I think somewhat disingenuously, proposed that Mary should marry Sir Robert Dudley, her own favorite. <laughs> of course, Mary thought Dudley was too low. <laughs> to be the king of Scotland. <laughs> I king. mean, he was. Yes, he was. And that it was an insult. And besides that, he had been accused of murdering <laughs> his wife. And Mary had many of the same reasons that Elizabeth had for not marrying him. Well, that's why I think that Elizabeth knew Mary wasn't going to marry him. But it was made a good show for Elizabeth. It made a show to Mary that Elizabeth was proposing somebody who Mary knew well to be her favorite. It was making a show to her own government and people that she was not having a big thing with Robert Douglas. She would have been fine with him moving to Scotland and marrying someone else. So she's kind of using him as a demonstration for a lot of different things. But I think she was pretty sure that Mary was not going to marry him. And instead, Mary, Queen of Scots, marries Henry Stuart, Lord Darnley, in 1565. And everyone who listens to the Tudor Time Machine podcast knows that Lord Darnley was indeed English and that he was also a son of our grumpy, imprisoned Lady Lennox, that he was a Catholic, and he himself had a claim to the English throne because he was the grandson of Margaret Tudor. Remember, Lady Lennox, Margaret Douglas, Lady Lennox, is the daughter of Margaret Tudor by her second husband. Elizabeth was against this wedding between Darnley and Mary, Queen of Scots. For Mary, if the goal was to make Mary of Scots a stronger candidate for the throne of England, it seems like a poor choice to marry a Catholic man in a Catholic wedding that Elizabeth disliked. But by all accounts, Mary was completely bowled over by Darnley when she saw him. She really fell in love with him. It was a marriage of love. And actually, they were cousins, so they had to get a dispensation from the Pope. And that very famous Catholic queen, who was also Queen of France, Catherine de' Medici, attended their wedding. And Catherine de' Medici was Mary, Queen of Scots' original mother-in-law from her marriage with Francis II. Catherine de' Medici was queen regent in France until the, the other son could become of age to become king. Anyway, it's a pretty Catholic gathering up there in Scotland, and Elizabeth decides not to attend. No. This choice obviously upsets Elizabeth. Perhaps more importantly, immediately, it upsets the Scottish lords, who are still angry about the religious settlement, and they rebel against Mary. It's kind of reminiscent of something else that we've talked about in the Tudor Time Machine podcast when Mary Tudor married King Philip of Spain against a lot of her courtiers and people were very much against it and there was a failed rebellion. But do you think that these women, both Mary Queen of Scots and Mary, if they were men that they would have been rebelled at. Because people were against Henry's marriages all the time. But Henry, apart from Catherine of Aragon and Anne of Cleves, Henry didn't make a political marriage in the same way. Mary Tudor was always going to marry somebody from Spain because that's where her heart was with her mother and everything. That was a potentially dangerous marriage for England because Spain was so incredibly powerful mm. and they just thought they were going to get sucked into the Inquisition and they were going to get sucked into being a sort of satellite of Spain. So I understand that. But she was tough. Mary seized their lands and pursued them with her army. And in this case, she did win this battle. The Scottish lords ended up winning, winning over Mary. She was willing to fight for who she would marry, but she was not going to stop being 
the first power in Scotland. Just as we say, actually, in the story, this is Lady Lennox's big problem with Mary, right? Is that Mary refused to elevate Darnley to being named king in his own right. He was king consort, but that meant that he is actually lower than Mary. Mary was the authority over him, and Mary wouldn't elevate him to make decisions on his own, to be truly king. Not satisfied with this, Darnley plotted against her. And the plan was extremely complicated, perhaps doomed to fail (laughs) because of its complications, because Darnley went to the Scottish lords and he made a deal with them that if the parliament made him the lawful king of Scots, above Mary in making laws, Darnley would switch sides on the religious question. He would go from being a Catholic supporter to supporting the Protestant lords that Mary had exiled, why they would trust that he was actually going to do that once they had made him the most powerful person in the land. So who knows what they really thought? Darnley would switch sides, as we've said. He would pardon all the Scottish lords and return their lands to them. (laughs) So they could be powerful again. That's right. (laughs) He would give away all that stuff he had taken from it. You know, people are always doing that kind of thing. And he said that the rules of the Protestant Reformation would all be reinstated. There'd be no Catholics anywhere. But because Darnley was married in a Catholic ceremony and his family were very strongly known Catholics, he and the Lords needed a scapegoat, someone who had misled him, poor innocent, to be a Catholic, because if he could follow his own mind, he would, of course, be Protestant like the Lords were. Even though we don't know if the Lords trusted him, but this was their plot. Yeah, this was the plot. You know, truthfully... Darnley has gained a bit of a reputation of being kind of slimy and backstabbing overall. And you know what? I say that with the full conviction that there may be someone who can re-examine the whole thing and decide he was a wonderful guy who was misunderstood. I mean, who knows, right? Who knows? That's who knows? right. That's, that's how he's been presented to us. The Lords and Darnley landed on the scapegoat being Mary's secretary, David Rizzo. And even though he had been very close to Darnley in the past, and some even say they were lovers, Darnley was very willing to scapegoat Rizzo and get rid of him. It seems strange that they would be able to say that David Rizzo made Darnley a Catholic since Darnley had been brought up by the Countess of Lennox, who's a strong Catholic, but they were just trying to find a reason, right? Ugh, never get in the way of the unscrupulously power-hungry, unless it turns out he's actually a great guy. (laughs) Yes. There were many conspirators, 80 men by some accounts, and Mary, Queen of Scots, was very pregnant this time. It was evening, and she and some friends, including Rizzo, were having dinner. And if you go to Hollywood House, you'll see how small the room they were in is. And it must have been pretty unbelievable when Darnley burst in with 80 men. This room looks like it couldn't even hold that many people. It must have been absolutely chaos. And they killed Rizzo right in front of her. Supposedly, Darnley himself did the deed. I can't even remember how many stab wounds Rizzo had. So clearly, everybody took a swipe at him. Mary is angry, to put it mildly. And it seems like she must have been afraid, but who knows? Maybe she thought they would never kill her because she was queen and she was pregnant. And anyway, she demands an explanation from her husband. Oh, honey, why did you burst in with 80 men and kill my secretary? Just wanting to know. (laughs) Was that on your honey-do list? (laughs) It's just an unbelievable scene. And he does not say, I did it to wrest the throne from you. No, he does not. Legend has it that he said... 
It's because Mary was having an affair with Rousseau. Oh, it was his passion overwhelmed him. Yes. His jealous love. He was just a man in love. <laughs> Mary is taken away under lock and key. And let's not forget, even though she's queen, she is Darnley's wife. Technically, he is her master at this point, right? I mean, that's what marriage meant. She is queen, but she is also his wife. So she's above him and she's below him at the same time. It's kind of an interesting dynamic. She begins to plot immediately. Within minutes, she comes up with a way to save herself. She knows that there are thousands of troops in Edinburgh waiting to celebrate the baptism of her unborn child. So she has to get to her army. She asks to see Darnley and he agrees. And then... Because of her incredible charisma? I don't know. She reveals her plan to go to Edinburgh and get the army. And she convinces him to flee with her. Maybe she convinces him that the lords will do away with him. Right. Or maybe he's starting to fear that himself already. He's just killed her friend and advisor. But she does convince him this is a good time for a little trip to Edinburgh. <laughs> I think Mary really had just one thing in her mind. And that is that she needed this un born child to be legitimate. Mary's child is the rightful heir of Scotland over Darnley. She needs to stay calm, not lose this baby, and not get in big trouble with Darnley so that he tries to tell everybody that the child is Rizzo's or that the child is illegitimate, he's not the father, because then that's going to put the child in risk of inheriting the throne. Mary just has to stay married to Darnley no matter what at this point. That is the most important thing. If she has an heir, that's going to solidify her position as queen. It's kind of weirdly level-headed. There's all this destruction around her, but she has a plan to preserve her child's chance of inheriting the throne. And they do make it to Edinburgh where her troops are. Lots of troops, I think somewhere between three and five thousand. And her enemies, the most powerful lords, flee to England. So she is able to be queen. I mean, can you imagine what Elizabeth thought? About Darnley murdering someone in front of the queen? I think that Elizabeth thought, hmm, I don't think I'll get married anytime soon. <laughs> it's possible that Elizabeth and certainly Cecil might have known about this plot before it happened because she was against the marriage with Darnley and she was in touch with all those Scottish lords. But I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't have given away that kind of information. Yeah, I don't it's hard know. to know. But in our story, we imagined there are troops, rumors of a murder. You know, everyone would be going crazy. And there's no way to discover what really happened. And actually, even looking back, there's no way to discover what really happened, why it happened. You know, I mean, we know the actual events, but we don't know what everybody's true motivations were. The idea that it would be a Catholic uprising or a Protestant uprising in the North, there would be an uprising in the North. Yeah. That is entirely believable to everyone, everyone in at England. This point, yes. right. For Constance, who doesn't know anything that's going on outside of her own life at this moment, when she's arrested, she assumes it was for attending Mass. Maybe it is for attending Mass. Yes, and we'll have to wait until next time to find out exactly what the charges are going to be that are going to be brought against Constance. If you're enjoying the story, support us and buy some great Tudor Time Machine swag. Yes, go to the Tudor Time Machine Facebook page, hit the Shop Now button, and bye, bye, bye. And join us next time for more Time's Riddle and more Tudor-minded talk. 